Well, hello everyone and good morning and welcome to another edition of Livestream Sunday School for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. We appreciate you being here this morning. My name is Melvin Gaines. We're going to get started with some music while we get settled in here and also allow you online to get a cup of coffee or whatever you need to join us. We've got Anita Wilson uh, with the song Jesus Will. And Brother Roscoe, good morning. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this morning. To my lovely bride, good morning. Riding side saddle over here. Mr. Gaines and Delia, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Send some warmth up our way, please. Angie, good morning. Thank you for being here. Anitra, good morning. Remember, I put my mic on. My mic is on. That's good. Oh, Nate Marnell, good morning. You guys are ready for us this morning, weren't you? It's 9.30. Well, it's 9.31 now. Coffee is great. Ronnie, good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. Bev, good morning. I never understand why, why Facebook will show some names and they won't show others. And I only said good morning because you said good morning to them. So we work as a team here. <laughs> That's right. We appreciate you being here. Thanks again. Amen. Good morning, good morning. settled in and ready to get into the Word this morning, get ready for Sunday school. Appreciate you being here. Hey, Sister Pearl and Walter. Brother Walter, good morning. 
Good morning, good morning. song passed the test of keeping us on the air. That's perfect. <laughs> it's perfectly fine. <laughs> if you see me all of a sudden freeze and you know there was a problem. <laughs> I never understand that, but that's another. <laughs> Thanks so much for hanging in there with us. Good morning, good morning. We appreciate you. Good morning. of time we're going to uh, edit this down because it would go in nine and a half minutes but we don't have nine and a half minutes to do that but that was Anita Wilson and the song is entitled Jesus Will and uh, we appreciate you being here this morning and we thank uh, the uh, praise team music Arlen for the selection this morning as well too um, we're it's a great way to start the day get you in the mood to uh, get into the word and that's what we're that's what this is all about so we appreciate you being here thanks again we have a couple of announcements to make, uh, essentially, uh, for this morning. Um, I'll be giving the message today uh, at church, uh, for church. Uh, it'll be available uh, here live on the timeline as well, too, for those of you who are not in Akron to come to church. It'll be here on the Akron Alliance Fellowship Facebook page timeline, the same area. Approximately 11 o'clock will be on and ready to go. So for those of you who... Uh, want to stay tuned online, you'll get to see the message. Uh, it is also pre-recorded as well, too. Um, there's a pre-recorded version of the message that's available. It'll be online here, same timeline, approximately 10.30. So we're, we got you covered all the way around, so you can see the recorded version, the pre-recorded version, and the live version. We got you covered all the way around. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the message uh, is, Keep Calm and Trust Jesus. That's the name of the message today. Hey, Jackie, good morning. Thanks again for joining us. We appreciate you. Double cup of coffee. I can't say that I blame you. It's that kind of a morning where the weather is still pretty chilly here. Uh, it was a whopping 19 degrees when we were coming in. Um, so um, we, we know that it's not 19 degrees in Florida. So we <laughs> we'll leave it there. Uh, please remember your tithes and offerings. We appreciate you giving prayerful consideration to your giving. Uh, the worship aspect of giving. If you are mailing your tithes and offerings to our church, we would ask that you mail them to Akron Alliance Fellowship, 688 Diagonal Road, Akron, Ohio, 44320. That is the mailing address for any tithes or offerings. If you're coming to church, we have a 
drop box in the lobby area outside by the, the side entrance of our, our building. Uh, you're welcome to use our uh, blue envelopes there to write down the information and just drop it in the box. And that's how we've been collecting our tithes and offerings now since uh, early 2020. <laughs> so um, thanks again for giving that prayerful consideration as well, too. We are going to continue in our study in the book of Acts. We are in chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 26. And what we're going to be looking at here is essentially a transitional um, aspect where we recognize in the book of Acts, this is, of course, just after Jesus ascended, and now we're looking at the establishment of the church uh, within this uh, area with the conclusion of this chapter and into chapter 2 is kind of a continuation of that. But we're going to see some things here that are very important to look at. And I'm going to give you some food for thought today too as well when we look at this particular section because this is going to be dealing specifically with um, all of the uh, disciples gathering together. The disciples uh, actually become apostles. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit uh, as well too. But... Um, yeah, interesting topic about Matthias. Uh, Matthias being put into position in place of uh, Judas Iscariot. But let's get into this now first and foremost and uh, let's quiet ourselves and let the Lord speak to us with a word of prayer. We'll get started. Lord, we thank you again for this time that you've given to us to sit now and hear you speak to us through the Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for the wisdom that comes from just taking the time to be with you. Lord, we trust you to give us what we need to be able to move and be sustained as we go through life. And we ask you now, Lord, now to speak to us individually as well as collectively. And we thank you for your presence and we thank you how you never refuse to teach us something new. And we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Okie doke. Turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Acts chapter 1. Let's look at verses 12 through 26. This is going to take us through the end of uh, Acts chapter 1. And we're going to see the actions that take place with a description of what had taken place up until then uh, as the disciples come together. And we're going to see some continuity with this uh, flow as well too. We're going to see some things take place here where we're going to actually notice that everyone that was... Bef uh, available there before uh, this time. The disciples, uh, even Mary we're going to see is there too, along with several other women. They are all actively involved in, and together. So let's um, start with the reading. Acts chapter 1, picking up at verse 12. And we will read down to verse 26. But um, yeah, so let's get let's go ahead and get started with that. Verse 12, Acts chapter 1. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Please follow along in your version. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. 
They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. It doesn't go well with breakfast. Uh, let's continue. Verse 19. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem. And they gave the place the Aramaic name Akeldama, which means field of blood. Verse 20. Peter continued. This was written in the book of Psalms where it says, Let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, Let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among, from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us, whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. Verse 23. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Bersabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. Okay, that's Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Now, first of all, we want to start off and recognize that the, the main premise or the main focus here in this passage is about the selection of Matthias to replace Judas. And we, we have the description of why this all took place, and Peter was the one who took the uh, leadership at this time and mentioned the importance of having Judas be replaced Judas Iscariot being a place. We have to say Judas Iscariot and make that distinction because as you can see, there's a lot of common names here. We've got James, we've got Judas, we had which was Jude, we've had, we know that one of uh, Jesus' brothers was named Jude. He wasn't referenced here, but there's a lot of, Simon is another common name as well too. And one thing I do want to point out that's important here, especially as we look at this passage and the reason why the reference to all these individuals is being given, we need to kind of know who the players are here. We need to know who these disciples are that remained constant with uh, the following of the way and the proclaiming of the way to other people and speaking about the truth to others. And as you can see, that the only person really that's missing here of the original 12 is Judas Iscariot because he uh, committed suicide. But I want to look at, let's go back to the top of the passage. I want, to, want you to see something here that's pretty important to recognize. Verse 12, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. Now, half a mile, we, we want to make sure and clarify that depending upon the Bible you're looking at, they're saying it's a Sabbath day journey. A Sabbath day journey, like if you look at the King James Version, 
Uh, half a mile is what's being written here for what it says in the New Living Translation to give you an idea of the actual length of mileage involved here. And essentially what that means is, is that they were staying close by to the temple during the feast days when Jerusalem came to worship. People came to worship in Jerusalem and they wanted to be close by to where the temple was to worship. And we're looking at the Mount of Olives. It's a very popular place, a popular location. And no one wanted to remain more than a Sabbath day journey away during that time. Now, there were no cars back then. We're talking about people walking. So we're talking about about a half mile. Have you ever walked a half mile? A half mile, um, we've walked a half mile. A half mile is about a couple of blocks a couple of blocks around where we live in our our neighborhood, which is a cul-de-sac, and it's a you, you work up a bit of a a sweat if you work that walk that amount, but it's not that far away. But they wanted to remain close by, so we're looking at the length of time or space it is to take to get to the temple, because we they wanted to make sure that they were within a half a mile of going to the temple, because they didn't want to have to go very far. So that's that part of it. And that's, um, for those of you who, I encourage you to walk, if you're able to, uh, to keep in shape. That'll, that'll help keep you in shape. If you're walking a half mile uh, every now and then, that's going to be very good for you. Uh, let's go to verse 13. When, the, when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are, the names, here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Now, we do know of these names listed here, and I'll mention this now, and we're going to mention this about Matthias as well when he gets selected. All of these men were convicted. These were what we would call the leaders of the movement. They were the ones who traveled with Jesus all throughout the two years before, before he went to the cross, and he, Jesus spent time with them, and also saw 500 other people as well, too, after he rose from the dead. And, and it's important to note that these men stuck with the faith. They stuck with the way. They did not leave what they were charged to do. And that's because, frankly, Jesus was empowering them to have the ability and would empower them with the Holy Spirit, which we'll be looking at when we next get together next week. Um, but... We don't know all about the works of these people. Simon the Zealot, we know that Simon the Zealot, if we want to use him as an example here, what does Zealot mean for? Well, he was part of a family of people who were very much um, believers in the way, the original way, the Mosaic law, and they were very zealous in their faith, and they were actually named or regarded as the Zealots. But we don't know anything about the works of Simon after this point. We don't see any reference or mention to these works in the book of Acts. And we're not going to see any about Matthias either. But we'll have some comments about that as we go further. Verse 14, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Do you see this here though? They are constantly united in prayer along with Mary the mother of Jesus who was no longer... Um, someone who was strange. She was well accepted and regarded. Several other women and the brothers of Jesus. We can pretty much conclude that these other women who were with uh, Mary 
were the ones who were traveling with Jesus even before he went to the cross. He had a, a group of women who traveled with him just like the disciples traveled with him. They are not mentioned as often, but it doesn't mean that they weren't there. They were there. They were available and they were there because they were truly following Jesus and recognizing him as the Messiah. But they were constantly united in prayer. They were actually taking on the traits of what it is to be in a church. They were actually putting forth what we see when it comes to going to church. Why do we go to church? We go to church to worship. We go to church to praise God. And we go to church and we are in prayer when we do so. We're always praying. We're always praying for the Spirit to speak to us as we go. Prayer is how we communicate with God. And that's exactly what was taking place here. They were showing us the principles of what it is to be involved in worship. And they gathered together, constantly united in prayer. And in my notes here it says, After Christ was taken up into heaven, the disciples immediately returned to Jerusalem and had a prayer meeting. Prayer meeting. Prayer is something that if, uh, let's just use it for an example here. Prayer is something that you have to become more accustomed to when you become a believer in Jesus. Amen? It's something you have to learn how to do. It's not something that comes naturally. You actually have to practice prayer. And so, these individuals didn't have to necessarily practice prayer because they were familiar with praying to God. But when you're a new believer, you have to practice prayer. Prayer should be a part of your lifestyle as you learn more about Jesus Christ. And so we're seeing examples of why prayer is very important. How are you going to know if God is speaking to you if you have not asked God to speak to me? How are you going to know what God is saying to you or how are you going to know who God truly is unless you are asking him to reveal himself to you? That involves what? Prayer. It involves getting before the Lord and stopping for a moment and praying. And you know, there are going to be moments where we're told to pray without pray all day long, right? Pray without ceasing. Well, you do that as you continue to practice prayer. Because praying without ceasing is something you have to practice. You know, it's not just praying in the morning when you wake up or praying at night when you go to bed. It's all day long. It's something you practice and you continue to do and do those things over and over again. You're not going to be the person who prays to the Lord only when things are bad. You're also praying when things are good, or maybe they're neither one, but you're still asking the Lord, Lord, reveal yourself to me today. How would you have me to move? How would you have me to be today in my interactions with other people? Because rest assured, not every day goes the way you planned it. Amen? Not every day goes the way you planned it. You may have a plan to do something one day and, and something happens and all of a sudden, wow, you've got to do something totally different that you didn't plan to do. Prayer has to be in the midst of all of that. So I'm not telling you something you don't already know. I think you know that. But we want to make sure that we're understanding that when you're facing something that's important, like a decision, when you're facing a task, when you're getting into certain 
things, you're not going to rush into it and just hope everything works out. You're going to pray about it as you do it. You're going to make sure that you're focusing on what the Spirit is saying to you in your life. The indwelling Holy Spirit wants to be in your life, wants you to be included, wants, to in, wants you to include the Spirit in your life as well too. But that involves prayer. So we've gotten a, a, a mix here of who the people are who are present here in this particular time. And we're going to see now something in as we go further too. Noting that, um, oh, I do want to point out one thing too. The brothers of Jesus, brothers of Jesus was not necessarily a, they were not necessarily following the Lord before he went to the cross. If you remember, some parts of the, the Gospels of Scripture that the, they, they wondered if Jesus was crazy. They wondered if he, you know, was truly who he was. He was not, they, he would, they did not get along with him. But, we have to conclude the fact that they were there now with all the other disciples was that they must have been convinced through the resurrection that Jesus was the real deal. And you have to remember something too. Back in that day, there were a lot of people there that proclaimed themselves as the real deal. They said that they were the real apostles. They really were the ones who were followers of God and they had certain people that were following them. And, and at the end of the day... They were not who they said they were. But Jesus, of course, stood behind his words and said that he would, he indeed was who he was. And they were converted. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 15 real quick. I made a note to look at this passage. And let's go back to verse 1. Because we're actually going to see... Um, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. We're going to read down to verse 7. And we're going to see the account that um, Paul gives of this as well, too. You know, Peter is the one who's going to be speaking in this passage that we're in today in Acts chapter 1. But Paul is the one who's going to be making a comment about how, essentially, we saw the beginnings of the first church. And it came, what? After the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message. The message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. Verse 3. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scripture said, he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. So we're looking at the group of people who were converted and were also including, too, Jesus' brothers that is being referenced here in Acts. But we wanted to show you that there was an account. And if you read verse 8, too, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. And remember, Paul was not there with that group. 
This is the account he is giving and making us aware of what's happening here. I would think that it's pretty easy to conclude when you see somebody come back from the dead and all the words that he spoke about were true, you've got a pretty good, reliable source (laughs) that you're dealing with the one who is the genuine Messiah. And that's exactly what we took place here. Now let's go, to, let's go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 15. They all met together and were constantly... Pardon me, that's the wrong passage. Verse 15. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. During this time. In other words, people had remained close by, near the Mount of Olives in the temple. They were gathering together in this house. This was their... This was a place where they were gathering together and praying and, frankly, probably worshiping as well, too. But now we got 120 people. 120 got together. We can make a somewhat of a conclusion. If you got 120 people getting together, that's a church. That's the first church business meeting. <laughs> that's what's going to take place here because there's going to be a matter of business that's taking place during this time of gathering. 120 believers were together in one place. Peter stood up and addressed them. And we have to assume everybody we just read about, they were there too. But now there are more people. And don't forget, I, I, I try to remember these things as I'm preparing too. Remember, there were 70 other people who were also with the 12 early on who walked away because they couldn't understand what Jesus was teaching them. And we don't know what happened to them but those people could have very well come back and been part of this group because they had to be convinced about who Jesus was, just like everybody else, just like Jesus' half-brothers had to be convinced. Verse 16. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Now, let's continue because I want to get down to where we're talking about what happened with Judas as well too. Verse 18, Judas had brought a, bought a field with the money he received for his treasury. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. Now, this is not what's necessarily being said. This is what is being written by Luke, it's in brackets, it's in quotes. It's being added for our information. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem. That's in verse 19. And they gave the place the Aramaic name Akodamam, which means field of blood. Now, is there a conflict here from when we talk about how Judas bought a field when at the time he was trying to give this money back to the priests at the temple. Well, you're going to find that there is no conflict here. This is just a different account of what happened. We've we've referenced this before in Scripture, how one person will give an account in Scripture, someone else will give an account, they may not have all the information. But remember, the priest, when Judas threw back his coins, because he was guilty, he felt guilty about what he had done by betraying Jesus, They did not put that money in the temple. They didn't want that money back. That money essentially 
was rightfully still Judas's money. And what they're saying here is that it would never went back to the temple. It was Judas's money. They attributed this purchase of the field to Judas. Even if Judas physically didn't take the coins and do it, they took the coins and purchased that field. But it was still attributed to Judas. It wasn't anybody else's money. And that's what we need to understand here about this section here. It's not a conflict because essentially Luke is saying, well, this was Judas's money. They didn't, the temple didn't accept that money. But they weren't going to take that money and put it in the temple. They said, nope, that's, that's blood money. So it was Judas's money. That's why it comes back and says, Judas bought a field. Well, that's where Judas wound up. That was the field where he committed suicide. So that's how we can make this account that the money was not the temple's money, it was not any of the priest's money. They're attributing it back to Judas. That was his money. And that money was used to purchase the field. So all these things are true, but we want to give an account to how it's very specific and clear that it's not the temple's money that did it. It was not the priest's money. That was the money that Judas received to betray Jesus. And so he has to take ownership of that money. He has to take ownership of what happened. And at the end of the day, he did take ownership of it to the point where he had regret. And because he had regret, he committed suicide. We have a graphic description of that field of blood recognizing what had happened there. But I want to be sure that we understand that that's what had taken place here. And so we have this thing about Judas hanging himself. And, you know, he just fell. And it's reported he fell onto a bunch of rocks. And that's why he had burst open. When you with the force of that impact. That's why I said this is not good for breakfast conversation, but we need to recognize what happened to Judas, what his fate was because of what he had done. And we always want to remember, too, that Jesus had tried to talk to Judas all throughout and even tried to call him friend at the very end because it was the hope that Judas would turn himself around and not be the one to betray Jesus. But it's just like anything else. Jesus knew already the heart of where Judas was and what he was doing. So that's how we explain what happened because that money was not, it was not lawful for those priests to take that money back knowing what it was used for. It had to be attributed to Judas and that's how it was recognized to purchase that potter's field. And when we look at what it says in verse 20, go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 20. Because you remember that Peter had mentioned about how this was predicted long ago by King David. Verse 20, Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. 
It also says, let someone else take his position. Let's take a look at where those passages are. And these are both Psalms of David. Let's go to Psalm 69. Psalm 69, verse 25. And one thing we have to remember when we look at these psalms that David wrote, there's prophecy that's embedded within these psalms. And so Peter is going to give two accounts when he refers to this, when he's speaking to his church for a business meeting. Understand something. You know, it's, it's good to use Scripture when you're making an account for something. You always want to give an account. that whatever you're doing in church, whether it's a business meeting or otherwise, it ties back to Scripture. We'll get into this a little bit more deeply, though, because it's important for us to see some different comments about this. Psalm 69, verse 25 says, Let their homes become desolate and let their tents be deserted. Who is he referring to? People who are against the Lord. People who are anti-God. And David is making the statement, let their homes become desolate. Let their tents be deserted. For the sake of time, let's look at one more passage. Psalm 109. Psalm 109. Verse 8. I don't know, some of you may have this, these passages referenced in your Bible if you have a... Um, I had to look them up, honestly, because they weren't referenced in mine. I had to go and get them. But these are the ones that are being referred to here. Psalm 109, verse 8. Same situation, same type of psalm that David had written. The ones that were trying to destroy him, they were the ones that were anti, they were against God. Verse 8, let his years be few, let someone else take his position. Let his years be few, let someone else take his position. Now, I had to read that verse a couple of times and say, you know what, boy, that, that one is something that is really interesting for people who are not following Jesus or maybe even pretending to follow Jesus, but they're not really truly following him. You're setting yourself up for a real disaster. Because if it follows along with what's being said here by what David is saying, you won't live as long. And you can be replaced. And that is something that was being said here, specifically in Acts to Judas, but... Let's not go too far past or too fast past this and remember that we have a lot of people out there who just pretend to follow Jesus. Don't set yourself up like that. I'm not talking to anybody in this room. I'm talking about anybody who's looking at this and is wondering about what it is about this following Jesus and saying, well, it, it looks like something I can do, but maybe I, I just won't make a commitment to really being a believer in Jesus Christ. Don't play with that. Don't play with that. Because there is something to be said about what... You have to remember, all this scripture is God-breathed. Everybody who's writing here, David, 
Peter when he writes his, Luke when he writes his, Paul when he writes his, it's all God breathed. So we need to know where this comes from. And we're not going to get too much into why Jesus betrayed Jesus was betrayed by Judas and finally committed suicide. We talked about it before. We we basically he was one of the 12 followers for sure. He decided that he was going to steal from the proceeds. He was going to be a thief. His heart got hardened more and more and more to the point where he couldn't turn back. And greed, his greed destroyed him. And a comment here says, although Jesus predicted this would happen, it was still Judas's choice to do what he did. Those privileged to be close to the truth are not necessarily committed to the truth. Judas was around Jesus for two years and knew all about who Jesus was and how Jesus spoke the truth and he was right there with him and it didn't matter in the end. Just because he was nearby close by he was not committed to the truth and so that's why it's important for us to not go too quickly past this and recognize it for what it is let's go back to acts verse 21 acts chapter 1 verse 21 So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us, whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. Now, the decision was made during this church business meeting, let's just call it what it is, to replace Judas. And... It was being done in the course of business because that's essentially what they... Peter was given the criteria for making the decision on how to do this. And we do that in a church meeting too. In a, in our, we're having a church meeting, our annual church meeting next week. What has to happen? Someone has to be nominated for a position. If there's a change or an election, and that's what we do, what we, do we vote for that person to be part of the fellowship in this capacity, in this new capacity, and it has to be a vote taking place. Well, back then they cast lots. Well, that was perfectly reasonable. You can cast lots. There was nothing wrong with casting lots because that was acceptable uh, according to what was mentioned in Scripture. Um, In I believe that's also in... I I had the reference to that. Hold on, hold on. I want to make sure I got it. Um... And I wrote it down and I lost the note. Sorry about that. But it was in the, in the Old Testament. It was a way that people could take a vote by casting lots. It was perfectly reasonable to do that. There was nothing wrong with that selection process. But they were using criteria that was already established in Scripture. Now, a little bit of controversy here, depending upon who you talk to. Um... J. Vernon McGee, who is great, he wondered if Paul or Peter was supposed to take this method to 
select Matthias to be the replacement. And he felt as though Peter did not need to do this or did not have to do this because he was wondering if Peter was acting on behalf of the Spirit. Well, I don't know how anybody can possibly know that. We're recording what took place. And for Peter, for all Peter knew, he was being obedient to Jesus. So, it's a minor debate. It doesn't really matter about anything having to do with Jesus and his you know, salvation and all that stuff. It's a discussion point. But we can make a conclusion that God's sovereign will was being followed in that what was being done was proper. It wasn't improper when Matthias was chosen. But we can come back later and make a conclusion it was God's perfect will for Paul to be one of the apostles. The one who was going to continue and carry on the message. And we say that, we can say that because we can look at Galatians. Go to Galatians 1.1. 1, 1. Galatians 1.1. 1, 1. And remember, you know, Paul's not lying on himself. He's telling the truth. And he's making a very bold statement here in Galatians 1.1. 1, 1. said, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Okay. So he was appointed by God the Father. He was appointed by Jesus himself. And we know the account of what happened when Saul was on the road to Damascus and heard the voice of Jesus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So it doesn't conflict with Matthias being selected. Let's, let's continue the rest of the passage here because I want to point something out too that's very important for us to see here. Uh, verse 23. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Brasabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Now, the people that were nominated were very qualified. They were there when Jesus died and rose again. They were witnesses. They were part of the group. But they just weren't part of the twelve. So they had to have qualifications as being good people. There, there was nothing wrong with Matthias, nothing that disqualified him from this. Verse 24, then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Now, let me tell you something. This kind of fights with J. Vernon McGee's opinion. If you're praying and asking the Lord for wisdom to make a decision like this, as far as I'm concerned, it's good. Because there's no way in the world we can go back and say that they didn't have the leanings of the Spirit involved here. They're handling church business. They were part of the ones who were together. They were gathering together. And everyone's entitled to their own opinion about it. And it's not a fight. shouldn't be a fight. But if you're praying and asking the Lord, you know every heart. Amen. 
show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry. Now, hey, isn't it up to whoever we choose to do what's right and live according to what Christ designates? This is true in the real world, isn't it? I mean, let's face it. We've seen pastors removed from their service because of some transgression, but they were appointed to be pastors and they were serving in a capacity and something happens. It's still up to the person to do what's right. It's still up to the person to live according to what Scripture dictates. Verse 26, And they cast lots. Oh, I found it. It's Proverbs 16.33. That's the passage. I'm Sorry about that. Proverbs 16.33. You don't have to turn to it, but that's the passage where it was okay to cast lots to select people. I can't see all my scribble notes sometimes. Then they cast lots and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. Now, we don't have any idea what Matthias did. In fact, Matthias could have been in three different places, for all we know, in his travels when he went out. He could have been in Africa, he could have been in Jerusalem, or he could have been somewhere else outside of Jerusalem performing his service. But remember, every single disciple, apostle, except John, was martyred. Matthias was another one. Martyred. So he had to have been in the faith. He had to have been proclaiming the way. He had to have been involved in going out and speaking to different people. We just don't have a written account of what Matthias did. And we don't have a written account of... It doesn't mean that he's any less of a disciple or an apostle. Because we don't have any written account of what Simon the Zealot did. Not everybody, just because something wasn't written about them, didn't mean they were any less in their responsibilities. Matthias was selected, and we're going to attribute it to, hey, it's God's sovereign will. It was something that when we, when we vote for someone, we cast lots for someone in this particular case, he was the one that was chosen, the one who was going to be faithful, the one who was going to remain in place to proclaim the way of Jesus Christ. I'm going to start using the way more and more because essentially it goes back to what Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He was the way. And it's interesting to look at this account and just remember it doesn't diminish anything that Paul did. Paul was certainly an apostle. We have the works of Paul. We know what Paul did. We know all about what he did, what he, he wrote about. Alistair Begg something, said something that was very interesting about Paul and about where the word comes from and he was he was referencing someone else so I can't remember who that person was but he was referencing the fact that when we read scripture first of all we know that God is the one who wrote the scriptures through the Holy Spirit it all comes from God whether it's Luke Matthew Paul John it all comes from the Lord and he enabled and selected people to be able to write these letters. Paul being one of them. At a certain time, in a certain place, he enabled Paul to write these letters. Because he was enabled to do so through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Because not everyone, you know, we have people who have different skills, right? Some people are great writers, some people aren't. Some people can draw, some people can't. Some people think they can draw, and they had to be told nicely, great job, thumbs up for you, but it's not that good. (laughs) But God has to enable people to do these things, like writing here. Paul was one of them. And remember something that's very important here, and I'm just borrowing from Alistair because I heard it yesterday and it was profound. God spoke the word and proclaimed the word back then. He's still doing it today. It's the same today as it was before. But he enabled these people to write the truth that we was relevant back then, but it's also relevant today. So, in my humble opinion, and that's all it is, Matthias went out and did what he was called to do. Serve the Lord. Proclaim the message of the Lord. Of course, Paul was too. We're not diminishing what Matthias did because of how he was selected or how he was chosen. If they prayed about it, if they sought the Lord, that's all that matters. And this is going to be very important when we move into the next section here in Acts chapter 2. Because we'll see more people join the church. The foundation was set right there to get someone else in place to be able to proclaim the message of truth about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time set aside for us to hear you speak to us and to proclaim truth. We thank you, Lord, for how you're showing us the example here in this passage about the importance of prayer and seeking you in making important decisions, in making decisions even relative to our church. Thank you, Lord, for those reminders. And thank you, Lord, for reminding us too that even as we do assume these responsibilities, as we're called to do them, may we in those positions of authority remain faithful to you and trust in you. May we always be seeking you because, Lord, we know that we need to pray, frankly, to combat the wiles of Satan. Satan is always attacking. Satan is always present. But, Lord, we thank you for your protection and we thank you for enabling us to, if necessary, put on and keep on the full armor of God. And we thank you for the teaching. Bless us now, Lord, we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today for today's uh, edition of Livestream Sunday School for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. Stay tuned online uh, for the live version of church coming up in about a half an hour or so. And we appreciate you being here. In about five minutes, there will be a broadcast of the message today. Uh, Keep calm and trust Jesus. That will be online in about five minutes or so. God bless you and take care of yourselves. And we'll see you next time.